We find ourselves today, we're actually going to take a one-week break from our walk through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we will today be in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look in chapter 5. We'll pick up next week again in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, but this week 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we will be looking at verses 16 through 21. And the title of my sermon is Our Sin for His Righteousness. And the key words this morning for our worshipers in training are sin, righteousness, and reconciliation. Many of us know these words. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood loose all their what? Guilty stains. How is that true? How is that even possible? That my guilty stains can be washed, can be cleansed in blood. How is it possible that I can move from being in bondage to sin to seeing the chains broken and fall off that I might walk free? How is it that I, guilty and vile and filled with sin, can be declared innocent? How is it that I can once be lost but now am found? That I can be blind, but now see. It is because of a life that is reconciled to God. Our sin traded for His righteousness. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Prior to this in chapter 5, Paul is telling of his confidence 
and his longing for heaven. His deep desire in life to be with Christ. He explains his body as an earthly tent. We know Paul was a tent maker, so he had a good illustration. He saw his body as a temporary dwelling place. And in that, he had a great longing. He had a great anticipation for the eternal. He was longing for a resurrected body and to see the fullness of all things coming to completion, to see clearly what now he only sees in part. So Paul's heart was swollen for heaven. His heart was swollen for Christ. His desire was to be with Christ. He had a confident vision. He had a confident understanding for what was to come in Christ eternally. And because of this, his entire life was marked by this future orientation. And as a result of having a future orientation in his life, he lived very differently in the present. Paul was courageous. He was confident. He was purposeful. He was hope-filled. And so he could say, I make it my aim to please Him. Whether I am home with Him or in the body, My goal is to please Him first and foremost. As He said in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. And so Paul could look at fear, he could look at pain, he could look at danger, he could look at his enemies and say, what are they going to do? Kill me? To die is gain. And in verse 14, Paul says he's not living this way because he wanted to or because he decided to because it was a better way, but because he is controlled by the love of Christ. He is literally hemmed in by the love of Christ that controls us when we are in Christ. So Paul is not living this life, listen here, because he loves Jesus. Paul is living this life because Jesus loves him. And we often get it so backward. We are trying so hard to prove that we love Christ without drinking in the great reality that Christ has loved us. In all of my faults, in all of my failures, Christ loves me. Not a future version of me. Not what I become if I reach my full potential. But He loves me here and He loves me now. So the love of Christ hems me in. It controls me. It manages me. It directs me. It shapes me. It forms me. It presses me to move forward. To proclaim the love of Christ to all the world. 
Because Christ first loved me. So now, what does that look like? A new creation in Christ, saved to a ministry of reconciliation because of the great exchange in which Christ became sin on my behalf and I received His righteousness. So first, let's look at this idea of being a new creation. Let's read again verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. So because of this love, because of this compelling, hemming in, Christ-pursuing love that is given to us, we no longer look at the flesh, but at the heart. So Paul is saying here that what I am looking toward is not external. It is not appearance. It is not class. It is not credentials. It is not someone's job or their ethnicity or the family they're in. I do not look at the external. I do not look at the flesh. I look now at the heart and ask, is this a heart that is reconciled to Christ? What does that mean? What is reconciliation? Here's a definition. Reconciliation is restoration of friendly relationships and of peace where before there had been hostility and alienation. It also includes the removal of the offense which caused the disruption of peace and harmony. So how do we get to this idea of reconciliation with God? We begin in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And He told man, His creation, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so everything existed in complete and total perfection. And it doesn't take long in Genesis 3, we read that a serpent more wise and crafty than any other beast of the field, came to Eve and said, Did God actually say? Did God actually say that if you eat of the tree that you shall die? And so Eve questioned God. And she ate of the fruit. She gave it to Adam and the Scriptures say, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. They saw shame. 
They saw guilt. They saw condemnation. And as a result, God put them outside of the garden to bear the penalty of sin, causing all men everywhere at all time from then forward to be born in sin as enemies of God because of one sin at enmity with God. But we see in the beginning, we even see the love and grace of God even in this, even in putting man outside of the garden in the very beginning while he's cursing the serpent because of this. He promises the coming of, the life of, the work of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 3.15, He proclaims that there will be one who will come and will crush the serpent. And He has. But because of the fall, the sin of Adam is given to man. And man is guilty, is enemies with, is set on evil against God. And so now we can see this need for this reconciling work. We see this need for a restoration of this relationship of peace where before there had been peace and joy and happiness and satisfaction and now there is hostility and alienation. At once there was a perfect relationship in a perfect garden and now there is a broken relationship in a corrupt and dying world. And so Christ then is reconciling the world back to Himself. He is restoring the relationship and peace with man where hostility and alienation once reigned. Let's look at this a little bit. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you've been thinking there's a section of Scripture you want to memorize, this is it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Even if it takes you two years, memorize this portion of Scripture. It is the Gospel summarized in 10 verses. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once Walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Notice, he's, he's not talking about the difference between those who grew up in church and those who didn't. He's not talking about the difference between those who watched R-rated movies and those who didn't. He's not talking about the difference between those who went to Harvard and those who just made it through 8th grade. All of us, no matter what, at one time followed what is dark and evil. Verse 4, but now God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when 
we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now, those who mistake the gospel for religion or moralism say things like, God loves me because I fill in the blank. God loves me because I something. So we then have people who are living to perform before God so that He will see what we are doing and somehow will be impressed with what we're doing enough to love them. And then so, because we've done something and God loves us because we've done something, all of a sudden, it puts us as ultimate. It's now about us. And God owes us something because we did something. And so we put God in our debt. It puts salvation in our hands. But according to the Scripture we just read, You've been saved by grace out of an overflow of the abundance of mercy that belongs to God alone. Let's keep reading. There's even more that's going to remove us from the whole equation. Verse 6, And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we were stuck in our trespasses, stuck in our sins, stuck in brokenness, and we were shown kindness by God, by His mercy, extended by grace in an immeasurable way that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God loved us anyway. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Are you tracking with this? This separates Christianity from every system of religion in the world. The faith to believe Jesus Christ was not mustered up by you in your cognitive mind. It was the freely operating work of the Holy Spirit who gave you eyes to see and ears to hear, causing you to be born again. So why did God do it this way so that you play no role in your justification, in your right standing before Him? Verse 9 again, He did it this way so that no one may boast. So God is saying here, I'm going to save you, but in the end, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about my glory. It's about my name. I will save you. I will rescue you. I will intervene. But I do not love you because of you. Because you do this or because you do that. 
or because you don't do this or because you don't do that. My love flows from the death of Jesus Christ on the cross on your behalf when He once for all secured your right standing before me. And then verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now look back at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So it's not because I've cleaned myself up. It's not because you've cleaned yourself up. So that now God accepts us because we're cleaned up. No, we were as pagan and as God-hating as they come. And in the middle of it all, the Holy Spirit of God, by His predetermined will, made it to be so. So we can look at our lives and say, I'm a liar, I'm a drunkard, I'm a thief, I'm a murderer, I'm an adulterer, I am a fornicator. And suddenly, in a moment, He loves us right in that place. We become born again, we are made to be new creations and our affections and our desires change. And so instead of, I love to lie, I love my drunkenness, I love to be a murderer, I love to be an adulterer, I say, I want to chase, I want to love, I want to pursue, I want to serve, I want to honor, I want to seek after and speak of and glorify God who has made me, who has saved me and who is calling all things back to Himself, not myself. And with every cell of my body, I want Christ. And so here's a reality in this. In being a new creation that we must remember, when a person is truly born again of the Spirit of God, there will be a marked difference in their lives. It is unmistakable when one is now walking in the newness of life in Christ. There are many people in this world who claim Christ, but you see absolutely no significant change in their lives. They just have a new hobby. But reconciled lives look radical to the world. And the difference will be unmistakable. So some will claim Christ, but they're not really interested in Christ. They're interested in religious goods and services to meet what they perceive to be some requirement of God. So that in in the end, they can do enough to please Him. And of course, we know Jesus responds to that. Depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. So our efforts to win God over are absolutely worthless and are completely contrary to the gospel. As God's workmanship, what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, we will do good works because 
we have been reconciled to Christ. Not that God will love us, but because God does and has loved us. And if we get the order wrong, we get the gospel wrong. And the consequences are eternal. And for the Christian, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is incredibly, incredibly satisfying. All of my past guilt, all of my past shame, all of the past sin that I have walked in at enmity with God, I can look at and say, Nick Kennecott, you are a new creation. The old is gone and behold, the new has come. And just as we need to remind ourselves as believers that Jesus loves us and delights in us, we also need this reminder. You, believer in Jesus Christ, are a new creation. The old is gone. All things are becoming new. It's all gone. You are new in Him. That is marvelous, freeing, news. And all of this, verse 18, all of this is from God. By the free, sovereign grace of God, who in His great electing love chose to save and is saving a multitude from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation for His glory. What great news. The second part of verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So two things are going on here. One is that we are saved from something. And as a new believer, as a new creation is saved from something, we are also saved to something. We see this in verse 19. He says, we is not counting our sin against us. So we are saved from our Penalty that is due to us in sin. We are saved from that penalty and we are saved to something. He is entrusting to us this ministry of reconciliation. So it is by this reconciling work of God, making us to be new creations in Christ, that we are now ambassadors of Christ in the ministry of reconciliation. And this is a task given to all believers. So guess what? As a Christian, you are in full-time ministry. And this is it. Your ministry is reconciliation. How does it work? We are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we are calling men to be reconciled to God. Notice, he's not giving us advice that we should say one should consider being reconciled to God. 
Consider what I'm saying. Think about it. Decide if that's something you want to do. We have to remember that God has initiated this. God has already made the way. And the command is to be reconciled to God. To repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is the command. So believers in Christ are ambassadors of Christ and go out with His authority, in His power, under His care, and speak the truth of the Scriptures in His name because we are reconciled to God and we are calling others to be reconciled to God because Christ has made a way and there is a way to be reconciled to God. How? What's that message? How is it that one can be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what we call the great exchange. Christ became sin. The holy, perfect, righteous Spotless, blameless Christ became sin. And in doing so, the true believer in Christ becomes the righteousness of God. This is one of the most important verses in all the Bible. This is what we call imputation. Imputation, that something is placed on me, something is placed on Christ, it is imputed, it is credited. And so my sin was imputed to Christ on the cross, His righteousness imputed to me. And so often we want to think of salvation in terms of saving us from the punishment of hell. But salvation is so much more than simply being saved from hell. When we are reconciled to God, the good news is that we are made righteous. So now I'm free from striving to achieve my own righteousness. I am given the righteousness of Christ. And in Christ, my salvation is not made possible. Listen to this. On the cross of Christ, He did not make salvation possible. He secured salvation. Christ secured my salvation as the perfect sinless sacrifice that took my sin upon Himself, took the penalty of the wrath of God that I deserve on Himself, forsaken by the Father, dead, laid in the grave because of my sin, and in the end could say, it is finished because He secured my salvation. So sin was not just swept aside or looked over. God did not change His standard because He wanted to save some. The penalty of sin has always been death. God does not say, I'm just going to not deal with it. You're forgiven, let's move on. Your sin was dealt with, Christian. 
your sin was punished. And if you're not a Christian, your sin will be punished. For the believer, sin is punished in Christ. It has been punished in Christ. And He proclaimed it is finished. For the one who does not believe on Christ, sin will be punished eternally as they are condemned, separated from God, condemned to eternal hell with no hope of future reconciliation with God. The full justice and wrath of God punished sin for the believer on the cross of Christ. This is the great exchange. The sinless Holy One who knew no sin became sin and was punished. The one who was guilty and vile and at enmity with God was fully deserving of punishment and was made righteous. And when we stand before God, He shall look upon us and He shall declare that we are not guilty. But there are those who live unreconciled lives. And I tremble to say that there are those who will leave here today with unreconciled lives. And here is the lot. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed." those who live unreconciled lives now will remain unreconciled throughout eternity. But to you who believe, to you who are in Christ, you are a new creation. And as a result of being a new creation, you are an ambassador of Christ, entrusted with the message of the gospel as a minister of reconciliation. And God is at work making His appeal through you that others would see the hope that is within you and ask of that hope that is within you and you could proclaim to them the reconciliation, the work that God has done in your life and you can plead with them to be reconciled to God. To you who are here this morning and are unreconciled, I bid you repent and believe the Gospel. Be reconciled to God. Stop striving to earn your salvation because you will fail. You must be born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And so if you do not know Christ, if you walk in a life of striving to earn salvation, striving to please God so that He will one day forgive you when you finally are cleaned up enough, Repent of your sin. 
Believe on Christ and depend on His righteousness on your behalf. Not because you love Him, but because He loves you. Be reconciled to God. And for those of us who are reconciled to God, the command is that we would live reconciled lives as God is making His appeal through us. That we would call all men everywhere to the uttermost parts of the earth to repent and believe the gospel, to be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, we tremble at the thought that You have called Your people, many of us here today, You have called us to be reconciled to You. Father, to think that we were Your enemies, to think that we hated You, to think that everything that we did in our lives was for our own glory and not for Yours. And yet, in the midst of that, You humbled Yourself in Christ Jesus, became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. There is no greater reality in this world. Father, give us great satisfaction. Give us great hope. Give us great peace. Give us great assurance in knowing that Christ is our all in all. And that in Him we have been reconciled to You. Father, give us a holy ambition and a fervent zeal to live out the ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors of Christ, proclaiming the goodness of Christ, that the kingdom of God is at hand, and that all men everywhere are commanded to repent and believe the gospel. Help us, Lord, to walk in that truth. I pray for those here this morning, Lord, those who know they are unbelievers those who know they do not know Christ. Father, I also pray for those who are walking in a false sense of righteousness, seeking to achieve something, seeking to earn their own salvation, seeking to try and please You in a way that one day You will decide they've done good enough. Father, save them. Rescue them from that bondage. Awaken them from the dead that they may walk in the newness of life and that the old would pass away and behold that the new would come. Father, save us from moralism. Save us from works righteousness. Protect us that we not fall into this false gospel, but that we constantly preach to ourselves this great truth that Christ is our all. We need Him, we must have Him, and we can have great hope in Him. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the satisfaction we obtain from Your Word. And we pray, God, that as we go from here, that we would go carrying the truth of Your Word for Your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.